Well, good morning. Susie is up in Minnesota where it's snowing, or at least it was snowing. And, uh, you know, the first snow is always fun. Some of us remember. It's the last snow that's the one that breaks your back. In April, yeah, exactly. In Minnesota, it goes a long way. But anyway, she's up there with her parents. Her parents are transitioning from a condo to assistant living. And so there's lots of details and uh, stuff that need to be done. So Susie and her sister and brother are helping this weekend up in Minnesota. So uh, she's missing being with us this morning. Um, on October 26th, which is two Saturdays, we're having a rectory workday. Now you say, what in the world is a rectory? All right, let's just go back a little bit since we're Anglicans, let me tell you. The word rectory, it comes from like a parsonage where the parson would say, in England, if you had a type of tenure, uh, you were called a rector. So you'd be a senior pastor, but if you, were, uh, if you had this tenure, you'd be the rector, which meant it was very hard to get rid of you. Uh, um, yeah. Well, let me explain. This is part of what happened historically in the Anglican church. You had the high church or the Anglo-Catholic church. You had the evangelicals, which were more low church in their churchmanship. And then you had the broad church. And particularly evangelicals and high church Anglo-Catholics, when they lived in an area, if you were wealthy, you would want your parish church to reflect your spirituality and churchmanship. So if you were evangelical, which was very common, they would spend, I don't know if it was, it'd be like endowing maybe a professor, but you'd be endowing a church so that all the rectors or the pastors that came there had to be evangelical. And the bishop, even if, no matter what his churchmanship or views were, would have to go along with that. So if you were the rector, you would be an incumbent, someone who had a right to be there as the pat. Now, if you had an affair or stole money, you could still be removed. But you couldn't be removed because you disagree with the bishop about churchmanship and theology. So Anglicanism, part of its genius is there was a lot of breadth within it. And so you, know, you had a lot of people who disagreed were still able to stay within one big group. But part of how they, uh, you know, you, again, if you had the money, part of what you would do is that, again, you would buy the right to name the rector from the churchmanship you like. Now, we don't really do that today. And in America, they never did that. But we would like to start. So for $2 million, we're going to let you name um, the rectors after me. We're going to start investing that money right away. But uh, the rectors after me, we will continue with that. So we're looking for several of you who might want to do that. But uh, that was really done historically in England. But in America, a lot of people, you know, we have a lot of Anglophiles, and so they love using the term rector instead of senior pastor or whatever. And so rector it is. So the rectory or the house that the rector lives in uh, is the rectory. Well, I don't plan to live in there. I don't know that any of our rectors will, but we are... Uh, refixing up that house for Sunday schools and for prayer, but we are keeping it as a residential house property according to the codes and everything. And so for our purposes, right now at least, we're calling it the rectory to emphasize the fact that we're not turning it into a commercial building, which would cost us a whole bunch more money to fix it up than it would be simply to take a residential property and to fix it up uh, in that way. So it's the rectory for now. It may get changed, but it's the rectory for now. On October 26th, there's a work day. Right now, we cannot work inside until we get our plans and permits approved anymore. So for now, I am sure that it's an outside work day. Uh, there's plenty of uh, poison ivy and things like that, so I'm sure we're all going to want to be in our pants and things like that. 
and uh, I'm sure chainsaws and all, there'll be more information, but I'm sure we're going to want to bring our tools, and we'll have quite a day. Uh, I'll try to bring the donuts. <laughs> Not that we need a break right in the way, but nonetheless. So on Oct- if you'd make that on your calendar, we'd appreciate it from 9 o'clock to noon uh, on Saturday, October 26th. Also, on November 1st, we're having a worship evening at 7 o'clock Friday and celebrating All Saints Day. And uh, I won't get into all that. We have services. We'll be preaching on All Saints and remembering that those who have died in the faith, uh, they're not just missing. Uh, they're, uh, according to the book of Revelation, they're under the altar worshiping and praising God, the ones that know Jesus. And uh, that's why I say for 10,000 years, we'll just be started. Uh, people have begun long before now in their worship and praise in heaven uh, because of the blood of Jesus. They're there, and, uh, and we remember them, and we're grateful for God's faithfulness to our families, to our uh, friends, and those who've gone on before us. All right, and then the last thing. Oh, if you're visiting with us today, we would ask that you fill out a visitor's card. We promise not to ask you for money other than the $2 million thing, if you can write the $2 million check. Other than that, we're not putting you in a mailing list. We're not going to uh, try to get money. We just like a record of your visit. We would appreciate it if you would do that. Also, on the same cards that should be in front of you, uh, they're kind of long and thin. Yes, thank you. I'll just lift one up. Uh, looks like this. And so on the one side, it's visitor's info. And the other side, uh, if there's prayer requests, I can tell you that we are blessed with a church that prays. I mean, a church that really prays. We really are blessed. Um, can't say enough about that. God hears our prayers, uh, and not just our prayers, you know, but people who pray, he hears them in Jesus' name. And uh, we've just had a remarkable uh, experiences in these last years with the way God has been so faithful as we ask him. You know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. All right, And, uh, and we, wanna, we don't want to be those people. We want to ask him. And God has been incredibly faithful to us. So thank you, Pat. All right. Now this morning, I want to preach on Jeremiah chapter 35. And for a few lucky people, it's going to be on the screen. I'm sure most of you know what's in Jeremiah chapter 35. But Olin gets one. Levi gets one. Don't share with John Carl. And then of course... 14 font. No, you guys don't probably want it. But anyway, I, I have it. Big print here for me. Oh, I already gave myself one. Chad gets one. Oh, you don't read. Um, here we go. I, I want to talk this morning about the Rechabites. And you're like, what? The Rechabites. And I'm sure you all know from Sunday school the story of the Rechabites in Jeremiah chapter 35. Now, what may be confusing is I may not be pronouncing Rechabites right, uh, but nonetheless, I'm going to go with that. I'm sticking with it, all right? So uh, what's happening in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, there, of course, is parts of the book of Jeremiah that are chronological. Then there are parts of the book of Jeremiah which are thematic. And when we get to chapters 34 and 35, especially here, you have two themes. And the themes are about people who keep their word and people who don't keep their word. And so in chapter 34, we have this story uh, of the children of Israel who had been told, uh, the people of Judah that Jeremiah is uh, dealing with. By the way, 
Jeremiah, in all of his ministry, how many people followed Jeremiah faithfully? In all of his ministry, one of the most important prophets, how many people? Zero. All right, so as a young minister, I used to pray, Dear Jesus, don't give me the ministry of Jeremiah. I mean, here's this faithful guy, but can you imagine all of your life prophesying, God talking, and not one person. In fact, according to the history of the Jews, uh, at the end of his life, what happened is the Jews were not supposed to make a deal with the Egyptians when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were coming. They were supposed to get right with God. That would be too simple, though, to repent of their sins and get right with God. So because they had no intention of doing that, they tried to make a deal with the Egyptians, which God told them not to do. So they fled to Egypt, and on their way into the desert in Egypt, Jeremiah, who would not leave Israel and Jerusalem because of his faithfulness to the Jews, uh, Nebuchadnezzar knew he was a powerful guy and a spiritual guy. So Nebuchadnezzar, though he wasn't following the God of the Jews or the Bible, he recognized that, that uh that uh, Jeremiah was special and that he was anointed, so to speak, in a way that a non-believer might do so. And, and so he offered Jeremiah a palace in Babylon. And, and Jeremiah turned it down. He said, no, i got to stay here, even if we all die in Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar said, surely that's what's going to happen. You're going to die there. But the Jews, again, in disobedience and rebellion, went out to Egypt to flee the Babylonians that were coming. So apparently, and this is the Jewish history itself, this is in the Mishnah, uh, and the records of the rabbis, they say that when they got out into the wilderness on the way to Egypt, that the people all said, Jeremiah, everything you told us all of your life, it's been true, and it's come true. So what do you think they did? Gave him a lifetime achievement award. No, they stoned him to death. They said to him, this is true, I mean, as best we know from history, everyone, best we know, they said, everything you told us was right. And instead of repenting in, in the softness, saying, you know, we're so sorry. How could we have done this? It says they gnashed their teeth. You ever see a Doberman gnash his teeth? Or a dog? Okay, gnashed their teeth and stoned them to death. Yeah. Anyway, that's why if you have a grandson or you know, going into ministry missions, you don't want to be praying for the ministry like Jeremiah. So, in chapter 34... Jeremiah told him many things, uh, and, and chapter 35 actually is recalling an event that happened 10 years different or 12 years different, but Jeremiah puts these two things together to make a thematic point, to show some irony. So in chapter 34, which I'm not asking you to turn to, but is the story of the Jews recognizing that in the book of Deuteronomy, and I believe it's the 11th chapter, but I, I'm not positive, um, I couldn't remember at the first service, now I've forgotten, but, but maybe chapter 11 or chapter 13, something like that. Uh, God said that Jewish slaves, that when you had a Jewish slave, they, were, they would have to sell themselves into slavery to pay off their debts. But the Bible had a corrective that every seven years, Jewish slaves would have to be let go and released after seven years' time. But the Jews had never done that. And these are part of the principles of the year of Jubilee, which came every 50 years. But you had seven years, and you had 49 years, and you had 50 years. There were special years, and there are ways in which that if a family lost all their money and their land, or someone died, you know, what a tragedy, that every generation of 50 years, everything would be restored to them. So no family would perpetually be messed up because of the mistakes or some tragedy that might have happened in their family. Your original family farm would come back every 50 years. 
Of course, in the history of the Old Testament, there's not one time the Jews ever kept Jubilee from what anyone can tell. In fact, in Chronicles, it tells us that this 50-year restoration of property and money uh, to the people, that uh, they stayed one year in Babylon, which was 70 years, one year for every year they did not keep the year of Jubilee. So if you take 70 times 50, who can give us the time? Some of our math students here? Got an auditor right here in the front. This is amazing. I could have said that, but I might have made a mistake. So I knew to 3,500. Thank you. We're very impressed. So 3,500 years. That's what Chronicles said, that they didn't do it. All right? So they had this beautiful, gracious restoration by God, but throughout the Old Testament, they did not keep his word and do it. So Jeremiah had told them that they needed to do it, and they weren't doing it. So they had a service. They had a church service. And they went to the temple, and they made a covenant before God and said, okay, before God, we all agree. We're all going to hold hands. We're going to stand up and say, we all agree. We're going to let go all the slaves every seven years that are Jewish, and we're going to release all their debts from them. And they had a church service, and they did it. Except what happened? In less than three weeks, they took it back. In less than three weeks. And God says, if you read, you know, this is your homework. If you go read the, chapter, the 34th chapter of Jeremiah, God is really not happy. In fact, he says, you crossed the point of no return. And uh, it's a, some real rough stuff uh, that comes in chapter 34. But then we get this crazy story that Jeremiah, this story happened 12, 10 to 12 years before when the Jews didn't do the slave thing right. So, okay, so when they didn't restore the slave, but Jeremiah, for us to learn a lesson, he's got a bad example in chapter 34, and he wants to show us a good example. So let's walk through the story, and we'll break it down. It's a one-point sermon. So some of you are worried, because you're saying, that's a lot of Bible verses for Ron. This is going to be long. Oh, no, it's going to fly by this morning. All right, so Jeremiah chapter 35, starting with verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Now remember, every time you see capital L-O-R-D in the Bible, in the English Bible, it means that it is translating the word Yahweh, which is the covenant name of the Jews. So it's the special name that God gave to the Jews to know of his covenant love, his special love for them as the creator, ruler, God, uh, but the God of the Jews. So it's a special name, Yahweh. So the word which came from Je- to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, saying, go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring to them the house of the Lord. Man, these Rechabites, the Rechabites were a group of people that were coming down because they were related to Moses' father-in-law, and they were the Kenites, and they had the, Rechab was one of the people, and he killed when the, when the priests were doing really evil stuff, and uh, uh, Jehoram or whatever, one of those kings was killing everybody. This guy helped out to purify the false worship and keep the real good worship. So this guy was, they're not really Jews, but they're connected and married in. So they're not inside, they're kind of outsiders. In a way, they're kind of hippies. In another way, they were like the Amish. And you're going to see that. So they're kind of weird people that that nobody kind of would want to be like, but God's going to use them as an example, these sort of weird people on the outside. Not to speak meanly of the hippies or the Amish, but, but just saying they're not your normal people. Sorry, i got to say that in 
We got a lot of hippies in here, apparently. Okay. So go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them and invite them to the temple, which they weren't connected like that. And, and he's going to throw a party for them. And not only are they going to throw a party for them, he's going to give them all kind of wine. God says, give them all this wine. Bowls and bowls of wine. Look at the story. And give them wine to drink. Some of you say, oh, God wouldn't do that. Oh, yes, he would. He commanded in the Passover four glasses of wine to be drank. A lot of other things, but we're going to go from here. Here's the story. Now, some of these words are difficult for me. I have a PhD in theology, but I do not have a PhD in Greek or Hebrew or Latin. And so I'm going to mumble the words, and you're going to insert whatever you think is a reasonable sound for these words, right? Then I took Jazaniah, son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber, the sons of Hanan, the son of a man of God, who was by the chamber of the princes above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. So there's a special conference room and they get invited into this conference room. And there's not a whole bunch of them, it's a small group. And in there, it's all set up with tables. So the temple, there's a special room in the temple. Uh, it's all set up, all these tables and all this wine. Now, Anglicans could get quite excited about that. Okay? But that's not what this story is about. Here we go. But they said, so, excuse me. All right. So, five. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups. And I said to them, Drink wine. Now, this is fascinating. I, I mean, imagine you're kind of these, you're connected to Moses, but you're not really in, you're not really accepted. You, you, you're going to find out some of the weird things that they held to. But as it comes down, God is inviting you through his prophet. He invites you to the temple, and he invites you to this feast, and he says, come on in and drink the wine. Through his prophet Jeremiah, which they had no doubt was speaking for God. So what do you do if God invites you to have a glass of wine? <laughs> Anglicans, it's easy. <laughs> I mean, there'd be no story. We wouldn't make the chapter, though, all right? What's different is these guys wouldn't do it. And God says, there's a beautiful part of this. And let's see what the beautiful part is. But they said, so I mean, here, they're in the temple. They're like, why are we, why are we getting a, a big deal being about us? And God says this, but oh, oh, no, no, we can't do this because we made a vow. Let's look at this, looking at verse 6. But they said, we will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. Forever is a long time. This is 250 years later. Can you imagine, you know, Wesley told all of his ministers, he said, uh, you're supposed to fast until after lunch, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Supposed to have ruthless confession in small groups where people can look you in the eye and tell you all the things you don't want to hear. That's about the same time, 250 years since Wesley. Can you, you, how many people do you think are still following strictly what Wesley taught? There are some, but not many. Here's a group of people who say, we don't care. This is what our fathers told us, and this is what we're going to do. And God said they're a great example, particularly because he says, look, 
I've told my people these things, and they won't do it. They pay no attention. And yet, look at these Rechabites, who it's not in the Bible. They did their own thing. They made it up themselves. But because of integrity to their word and their fathers, their ancestors, they won't change. He said, I'm looking for some people who will keep the word and walk with integrity. They reminded them, our father said you shall drink no wine, verse 6b, uh, nor your, your sons forever. Seven, his, their fathers also said, you shall not build a house. Why were they against houses? Because at the time, 250 years before, the Canaanites had the cities. And the Canaanites did all this immoral and evil stuff. So instead of just saying, we'll have a holy city, we won't do that, they said, we're not going to live in the city. We're going to be like the Bedouins. We're going to be like people who are trapped. We're going to be nomads. And, and we're not going to grow any vineyards. And we're not going to plant any wheat or any corn. Because the Canaanites do that, and look how wicked and evil and how much they turn their back on God. We're not going to be like them. And so the Rechabites had these five rules. Not going to do any wine, not going to build a house, not going to sow seed, not going to plant a vineyard, nor have any. Not meaning it's not only we're not going to grow wine, we're not going to drink wine, we're not going to grow cereal, uh, corn, and wheat, we're not going to eat it, barley. But all your days, the fathers had told them, you shall dwell in your tents, that you may live many days in the land, your sojourners. So the father said, I'm going to bless you, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to stay away from these things. Don't be like the evil Canaanites, these idolaters. The Bible didn't command them not to do these things. But this father sincerely wanted his family to fall after God and not be contaminated by sin. So even though he made up some rules that weren't in the Bible... There's no brownie points for doing these things. But God says what's beautiful is they kept their word 250 years later because it mattered so much to them, the blessing and the words of their great-grandfather. And, and because that mattered, they strictly cared for all these things. So that even when the prophet Jeremiah invites them to the temple, they say, oh, we, we love to in a way, but no, it's more important that we keep our vow. We made a vow, us and our generations, and we're going to keep it. God's saying it's really hard to find people like that. Six, excuse me, now we're down to eight. By the way, the, the blessing is that you'd live many days in the land. Remember the, the, the commandment of honor your mother and father? With promise. Only one of the commandments has a promise that the gravity of the universe will bless you if you respect the people in authority over you. Do you know it's sad? Some mothers and fathers betrayed their trust. I mean, their position, God put them as mothers and fathers, or governments and teachers and coaches, and they're not always doing what God says. But God says that we're to honor the office, the place of authority that a man and a woman have as parents, and that it will go well for us, and the universe will respond to us in a positive way, or if we rebel against that, the universe will work against us. Can you imagine, guys, if this is so important, that people learn to work together under authority, that I'm going to have the universe is going to be set up to bless you or not, based upon how you respond to authority. Now, I don't know about many of you, but I've been rebellious. I kind of thought, well, I'm going to obey authority if I agree. I thought I knew a lot more than teachers and coaches and not so much my parents, but I thought I knew a lot. I don't think I was wrong all the time, except for the Bible said I would be blessed if I had submitted and out of respect done what was asked of me. I was never asked to sin or do something evil. I just thought I had a better plan. 
But I can tell you, when you sow the whirlwind, uh, when you sow into the wind, you reap the whirlwind. I can remember in my early 30s recognizing I could see so much stuff happen to me, and the Lord showed me it was I was bringing upon myself those things which I had sowed in my rebellion to authority as a younger man. And let me tell you something: I started repenting. I'm like, life is too short for me to be doing this for the next 50, 60 years. And so I start asking the Lord to forgive me, and I begin to see a shift. Within a year or two, I begin to see a shift that things begin to change. But I'll tell you, I sincerely repented. Listen, we don't break the Ten Commandments in the Bible. It breaks us. And I'm telling you something, it was breaking me. It was breaking me. All right. Down to about verse 8. Thus we've obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, uh, in all that he charged us to drink no wine all our days. We are wives, our sons, or our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, no, nor do we have vineyard, field, or seed. But we have dwelt in tents. We say, we, we've lived a lifestyle that's harsh and it's difficult. But better that and have honor and integrity than to be like everybody else. And we have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. Eleven. But it came to pass, there's one exception. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. It's as if they moved their tents into the streets of Jerusalem because without a walled city, Nebuchadnezzar would have destroyed him with all of his troops. So like, we, you know, we, we hate it. But this one time, because this is, we, we would be killed, so, so therefore we're, we brought our tents into the city in this one exception. All right, now, let's hear what God said. One point sermon. Now let's, we're getting to the point, so pay attention. Here we go. Then the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, then, the word, then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. Now, this is kind of important. God is described as the Lord of Sabbath, which is rest. Okay, Lord God of Sabbath, but Lord God of Sabaoth, which is S-A-B-B-A-O-T-H, host, is angel armies. So Lord God of hosts is Lord God of Sabaoth. So there's the Lord of Sabbath, of rest, that's not, but this is not of rest, this is the Lord God of Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts. So if you have the NIV, you probably see that uh, in that way, or one of the other translations you probably have. Lord God of Sabaoth, which is the A-O-T-H at the end, and that's the angel warrior armies, uh, of which no one can, can beat, by the way. So thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction to obey my words? See the irony here? He's saying, hey, you got these crazy Rechabites who made up this stuff but they have so much honor, they've kept it for 250 years. And yet, I've been telling my people all these things, and it means nothing to them. Will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day they drink none. And obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken, God saying, although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way, 
Amend your doings and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I've given you with your fathers. You'll be to stay. It'll, you'll prosper. But God says, you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them. But this people has not obeyed me. Now, what's the one-point sermon? Have you been keeping your vows? Some of us were married. Have we been keeping our vows? You know we make three vows in marriage? Love, honor, and cherish from Deuteronomy in Ephesians 5. What are the three vows? Friendship, cooperation in the family home, and sexual relations. Do you know that when you got married and you agreed to love, honor, and cherish, that you committed yourself to be a good friend along the journey? Did you know that you break your wedding vow by not being a good friend? I've not always been a good friend to Susie. Do you know that you agreed in your wedding vow to cooperate in the household? It doesn't so much matter. I mean, the ancient world, the idea that a woman might be the banker, that, that, you know, I don't think it matters a bit in terms of principle, which spouse is making more money or whatever. But the idea is there, there's mutual cooperation and support because you can't have a home unless we're working together. That's vowed in the marriage vows. And did you know that sexual relations, having an ongoing and healthy sex life is a vow that you took? Did you know that? I'm amazed. See, because Jesus said the only, the only cause for divorce, but remember, Jesus was speaking in a context. Everybody knew that the three essential vows of friendship, cooperation, and sexual relations, everyone understood to break those vows was a sin against God and your spouse. Did you know that? Jesus was answering a question, can you get a divorce for any reason? Not referring to those three vows. Everyone agreed that you could get a divorce at the time of Jesus. Jesus said he was answering an argument between two rabbinical schools. And the one school said, if your wife does anything displeasing, she's getting older, you know, you're having an affair, you're having a breakdown, whatever, you know. Jesus says, no, the only cause... For adultery, the only exception is, a, is, is the cause of adultery. He was not commenting on the first three foundational aspects of every marriage. Spoken of in Deuteronomy all the way through Ephesians 5. How are you doing with your vows? How are you doing with your integrity? A famous pastor up in Chicago said, uh, your integrity is who you are when no one's looking. When no one's looking, I might sneak a scoop of ice cream. There's, you know, we, some of us will sell out in a hurry. How are you doing about keeping your word, living with integrity? Part of the reason God says he's not blessing his people that he wants to bless is the Bible says, not just here, but this is a great story for it, is that we're people who don't really take him seriously about obeying him. And he's saying he's looking for people that care about him and show their worship to him by the way in which they live their lives. He's looking for an excuse to bless people. It's really good that we can repent, that God's kindness brings us to repentance. Can you imagine what would happen if we started saying, look, we'd rather live 
and a less of a house and live a different kind of lifestyle and keep God's word like the Rechabites. Then they'd be doing all this other stuff and be people of compromise that God can't bless. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how few people it would take for a contagion of that to catch on fire and to begin to change a city and a state? It wouldn't take much. It wouldn't take much for us to take God seriously and to take it seriously to obey Him. And when we don't, to repent. I mean, no one obeys Him perfectly. And then some people, they run to Him in repentance, and some people, we ignore it, blow it off, keep moving, whatever else. God's looking for people to bless. In fact, look at the blessing He pronounced over the people in verse, I guess it's verse 18. And Jeremiah said he prophesied blessing over the Rechabites for being a good example and keeping their vows. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, a nobody ultimately. They just had integrity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you've obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts and done according to to all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. Can you imagine if the Lord said, hey, Ron, you've done such a good job. Your kids and your grandkids and your great, there'll always be someone worshiping in my house, serving faithfully. What a thing. We know, because of the records in the Old Testament, that several hundred years later, there was a guy who was a son of who was mentioned in the Old Testament, who is one of the people fulfilling this several hundred years later. I will tell you the strange thing about him, and I should should have brought you the verse, which I didn't. It may be on the bottom of my notes. No. My other extended notes at my house, on my computer. The guy, this guy, a couple hundred years later, is is listed in one of the lists. Whatever, the son of Rechab, who is the doorkeeper, blah, blah. But it says he's also, he is controlling, he is over the vineyards. So I don't know, they did another vow? I don't know what happened. But anyway, one of the descendants is listed as being great and taking care of the temple, but he's also mentioned that he oversees the vineyards. Don't know about that one. But but it's got to be a smile from heaven in that one. By the way, what does the Bible say about alcohol? Don't be drunk. Are there people who shouldn't drink? Yes. There's people like me that shouldn't go to buffets. I'm a, I told you, I'm a competitive eater. You get me to a, compa- a buffet, I want to get my I want to win. Okay? If you're the kind of eater that wants to win, you should not be going to a buffet. Just done it out to you. If you're the kind of drinker that can't stop with one then or two, you, you know, it's not good for you. All right? It's a serious thing. The point here is not that these people didn't drink. That, that was fine. God approved of their decision. But the point is uh, that they lived with integrity and they kept the word of their fathers. And it's so hard to find. God's saying, it's so hard to find the people that call my name who will be, have integrity and walk with me faithfully. This morning, the question is, how are you doing with your vows? How are you doing with your relationship with authority? How are you doing your obedience to God's word? Oh, there's a, there's a tremendous grace in Lord Jesus Christ, but, but there's a needs a harder repentance. The blood of Jesus is big enough for all of our sins, but there needs to be a harder repentance and true faith.
We really have to turn. And we need to ask His grace. We don't all change everything quickly, but, but we need a grace, but we, we need to be sincere, and we need to make it our ambition to obey God, not just confessing things and sort of think we're just uh, messing around, but a real heart of integrity to get right with God. God will honor that, and He'll bless us. He's looking for people to bless. Did you know that? He, he's just like, if I could find some, I'd bless them. That our hearts would be purified, that we'd live with integrity like the Rechabites. Lord Jesus, we come this morning. Lord, it's so easy for me to see so many mistakes and sins. So many times I thought I knew better, and I really just had a different opinion. And whether it was better or not, you were asking me to submit to authority. Lord, I have repented in the past, but I say it publicly, Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, I pray that we'd have a church here together, that we'd live this life like the Rechabites. But Lord, for us, not about drinking or tents or this or that, but, but that we would be people who don't let your words fall to the ground. That when we hear your words, the preaching and our Bible study and our small group, Lord, that we would take them seriously. That we would amend our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the repentance and the turning to the blood of Jesus Christ, that we would be cleansed and transformed and enabled by your Spirit to live in this world in a way that would honor and please God. If the Rechabites could do it before the Holy Spirit was poured out and salvation was purchased in Jesus on the cross, surely we can live with integrity by your Spirit. So I pray, Lord, this would be a house of integrity, a house of obedience, a house of cooperation, people that keep our vows. So would you bless us and strengthen us, Lord? We've got good intentions, but that we wouldn't forget when we leave. But Lord, we would begin to search your scriptures and respond to you in a profound way in light of what you've done for us in Jesus. So Lord, we bless your people this morning. Lord, fill us with integrity. Lord, pour out conviction that we would hate it when we sin against you, Lord, that we would be quick to repentance and to confess our faults and our sins to receive that forgiveness that you offer. So now would you bless us as we take communion together? We commit ourselves in communion to the teaching of your word and a lifestyle of worship and obedience. And Lord, as we re-up on that covenant, we take communion together to do so. So strengthen us, pour out your spirit uh, in the bread and in the cup. Strengthen us by your presence, your very self. We ask these things in the most beautiful and precious name, the name of Jesus. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. <laughs>